Welcome back to Bibliography, a podcast for people who love a good to-be-read list. I'm David Kern here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and this is a show about the way books make our lives richer. This week's guest is Eduardo Ballerini, an incredibly talented artist who you may have seen acting in shows like The Sopranos and Quarry, Boardwalk Empire and 24, as well as a number of uh, movies as well. Of course, being the bibliophile that you are, you might be most familiar with the sultry tones of his voice because he's one of the most highly regarded audiobook narrators in the world. He's narrated over 350 titles, including classics by Dante, T.S. Eliot, Dostoevsky, Camus, Stendhal, Tolstoy, Kafka, Jack London, Turgenev, Calvino, Oscar Wilde, and Jean-Paul Sartre, and modern-day bestsellers from Richard Powers and Amor Tolls, Jess Walter, David Baldacci, Cynthia Ozick, Dean Koontz, Isabel Allende, and many, many others. And in 2021, he was commissioned by the estate of T.S. Eliot and Faber and Faber to record the centenary edition of The Wasteland. So all that to say, if you listen to audiobooks, you have probably spent at least a few hours with Eduardo Ballerini. I was lucky enough to spend an hour or so chatting about books with him recently. Uh, We discussed the books that he loves the most, how he got into the world of audiobooks, growing up in the home of a poet, and much, much more. But it's better if he tells you about that himself. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Hope you find a book or two to love. All right. Well, again, thanks so much for doing this. I'm excited to to talk books with you and your life in books. And uh, I have not uh, for this show interviewed an audiobook uh, narrator, so I'm excited to chat with you because I've loved your work. Thank you. This is fun. So I always begin with this question. Um, I'm sure for the listeners, it's getting a little bit a uh, little bit old to hear the same question at the end. It's the top of every interview, but I, I I don't know. I just like it. Do you remember the the first time? that you fell in love with a book? Oh, ever. Not just audiobook recording, just fell in love with a book. Yeah, just ever. You know, I think what it was for me was when I was a kid, I had this book about Greek mythology. Uh, And I can't remember uh, the the author, uh, but it's this classic volume that everybody back then had. And I would just read this thing over and over. And so it's it's nonfiction, but... um, I just remember being in love with this book, and suddenly there was this object in my hand that I just had to have with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first one. So how old were you? I'm going to say seven or eight. Okay. So then did you become a, like, you said you had an object in your hand all the time. Does that mean that you, from that point on in your life, you were just a, or books were a permanent fixture in your everyday life? Books were always a part of my life because my father is a poet, uh, a a well-known Italian poet, and my mother is also an academic and a writer. And so we just always had books around. We always had writers around. My parents used to throw these big sort of dinner parties, and there'd be these, you know, uh, scholars and writers around the table talking literature and their books. And I would go to readings when I was a kid. Uh, And so it was just always a part of my DNA and a part of my world. And I didn't know, honestly, that there was a way to live without books. It was sort of a shock to me to find out later that some people didn't read. You know, uh, we didn't really watch television. Uh, It was all about books. I mean, my parents even had in their bedroom, it was just like floor-to-ceiling bookshelves. Everything was books. It's like we would prop up the furniture with books. It was just sort of <laughs> books everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that, it was just, it was always there. I was always in libraries. Uh, you know, it was just part of it. So you talk about, your, you know, your parents being in that world themselves. They were, their lives were professionally and then 
at home built yeah. around books. Did they then, I mean, I don't want this to become a genealogy thing, but were they like, is this a thing that goes back for generations in your family or were they kind of the outliers? Were they like the first people in your family to, to they become? Were the first, they were okay. the first people. Uh, okay. On my father's side, uh, he uh, comes from a very poor Italian background mm. and he was the first one to really go to school, go to college, that kind of thing. Mm. How he became a poet is kind of a mystery. Obviously, it was just sort of in him, but yeah. he has very working class roots, uh, not a lot of books in his uh, home. Uh, my mother comes from a more sort of patrician New England side of things. Uh, and while they were certainly educated, it wasn't really a, an, a literary uh, or artistic sort of family. It was more kind of business side of things. Mm. Uh, although my great uncle was a painter, so there was that. There was that. But generally speaking, uh, they were the outliers. They were the ones that introduced it, uh, this element into our family. So as you're growing up then... Are they making you read certain things? Like, was there a canon of books that the the family, that your parents kind of insisted you read? Yeah, I mean, to a degree, my, my father sort of insisted on the classics. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, grew up on them. And as I said, he's an academic and, you know, it was all sort of, you know, Dante and Virgil and Shakespeare and all these kind of things. <laughs> I imagine uh, Dante he, was big for him. <laughs> Dante was big for him. He actually, my father, walked around with a pocket uh Dante, the Tascabile Dante. Interesting. Uh, and he basically had the whole thing memorized. Interesting. Uh, and, uh, That's amazing. So, yeah. Uh, so, and he tells this story that when I was a baby in the crib, he, you know, read me the Odyssey. Uh, kind of thing. I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but uh, yeah, it's so there was. You know, I wouldn't say it was an insistence so much. It wasn't like a you know you will read these five books by Friday kind of thing. But there was kind of a general understanding that literature was important. Yeah, uh, literature mattered, uh, and that it was to be taken seriously, and that it was kind of a key to the world and a key to the universe. Were you reading a ton of Italian books even when you were a kid? No, I uh, I would read Italian comics. Uh, oh, interesting. I, yeah, that's kind of how I learned to read Italian, actually, was with these uh, Mickey Mouse Donald Duck uh, comic books, which are very popular in Europe. Uh, <laughs> and now I, I, I love this. And my son, who's 10, he reads them. Oh, that's great. Um, and I know. And they're actually, they're wonderful. Uh, they're much more sophisticated than what you would think of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck in English. Uh, they're more kind of like adventure stories, uh, and they're more uh, nuanced uh, that way. Um, but that's sort of the Italian uh, <laughs> literature <laughs> that I grew up with. I never, you know, I speak Italian, I'm fluent in Italian, but I never went to school in Italy. Uh, so all my schooling was in the United States. Yeah. So I was never reading books for school that way. I've read a few, uh, obviously, yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, no, uh, not, not in that sense that you're asking. Do you think that speaking Italian, I guess this is a two-part question, speaking Italian, but then also being in the home of a poet has helped you become a better narrator? Without question. Without question. Because what I started to understand and appreciate from my earliest days was that uh, language is an art form, mm -hmm. and not just an art form, but a performative art form. Uh, as I said, you know, I would go to readings a lot and poetry perhaps more than uh, uh, a novel, you know, is, is something that gets read aloud more often, probably because the form is shorter. Mm. Uh, but, you, you know, yeah. you can go to poetry readings much more easily than you can go to novel readings. Uh, and so I started to understand the musicality of it, 
I also think being bilingual helps a lot with that, that your, your brain and your mouth are sort of open to different sounds, different phrasings. Uh, and so that was just always a part of me. And then I really liked reading things aloud even when I was a kid. You know, I never had any intention of going on to be an actor and a narrator, mm-hmm. but it was just something that felt natural to me. It's like you have words on a page, they have a rhythm, they have a musicality. Why don't we hear them? <laughs> and so it was just always part of my life. Is reading aloud, do you think that that is, is it an Italian thing in you? Because it seems like in Europe, maybe reading aloud, oral tradition, all those sorts of things are yeah. valued in a way that we don't necessarily value here in the United States. Maybe maybe that's a theory that you completely disagree with, of course. No, no. I mean, it's possible. I do think that in Italy and in Europe, there's a greater appreciation for literature in general. Hmm. Uh, I think that the academic curriculum uh, in schools uh, has kids uh, paying more attention to literature. I'm sure the uh, the curricula is, is changing, uh, that it's more inclusive hmm. now. It's not just a bunch of, you know, old white guys. Uh, but you know there are there's that canon of literature, yeah. and if you go in in Italy, I mean it's amazing how many people can quote Dante. You know it's just uh, you know yeah. it's just kind of astonishing. Or if you go in France, you know people can quote Voltaire, and it's just it's just part of the culture. And I do think there's this sense that you know you use that as part of your everyday conversation. You know, you're in a conversation, you'll say, oh, you know, as, as Dante says, you know, da, 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 uh, which I don't think we do here necessarily. I don't think we say like, oh, as Hemingway once wrote, you know, that's <laughs> some a, of us do. Some, some of, us. of us do. Yeah, no, but that's a, a, in more, you know, sort of refined circles, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, refined. But, that's the word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I, we're going to get in trouble somehow uh, for saying the wrong word. But probably, anyway, probably. Um, but no, I mean, you go to the, you know, the barista down at the corner bar can probably, you know, yeah. quote you something from, from Manzano or something which or Pirandello or you know these these writers in a way that we don't hear but you know you mentioned the the oral tradition which it's always funny to me because people you know there's this debate it's like audiobooks oh you're, you're just listening you're not reading and it's like well you know that was the original yeah. tradition yeah right? exactly yeah. that's where storytelling started so if anything is the printing press that really ruined everything for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you find that you have to kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't know if this is the right word, but defend your your work as in, oh, as yeah. a, like against the, you know, traditionalists? I, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, honestly, I don't care. Um, yeah. in that, like, <laughs> it's probably I most think, selfie. Yeah, I think literature is important, and I really yeah. don't care if you listen to it or you read it on the page. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I think it's important to read stories and to read books or listen to books and, you know, full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, people get into these sort of heated debates about it. Uh, but it is interesting to note that the oral tradition is the original uh, and the printed matter came much later. And if you think about literacy rates, right, I mean, up until what, the 20th century, you know, how few people were actually able to read. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. You know, even in this country, I mean, the literacy rate in the United States up until the 20th century was probably like, what, 30 percent or something. Mm. Mm. Um, And so then once public school became mandated and people were taught to read, thank goodness, um, you know, reading became a bigger thing. Uh, But no, I don't really dip my toes into that debate (laughs) too much. It's It's a waste of time. So as you were getting into that work, was there a book that that made that you that you were like, this has to be a part of my life. I mean, was there a book that got you into that work or was it more 
random, kind of yeah, come across I mean, more it's, randomly. It's, it's a little of both, actually. It was slightly random in that I started as an actor in uh, film and television, which I still work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then audiobooks were starting to grow. This is around 2008, 2010. Audible had been launched. And suddenly, you know, actors were being asked to come record books. And it was, you know, books on tape and recorded books have existed for a long time. But suddenly it was taking on a new dimension. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine in L.A. Uh, wanted to start a, an audiobook publishing company. And she said, do you want to, you know, record essentially a demo? Uh, and we'll just put out a title and see what happens. And she said, it can be anything you want just as long as it's public domain. And I said, okay. And I chose Machiavelli's The Prince. Hmm. And we recorded it. You know, it's a, a very interesting title. It's a slim volume, so it didn't take too long. Yeah. And I, I was intrigued by it. And then I didn't really think much about it. And sort of you know, a couple of years went by and came back to New York and got asked to come out to Audible to audition. As I say, they were doing this with sort of every actor under the sun. They were just like, come on out. Let's see if you, you know, have any aptitude for this. And I got asked to do a couple of books, and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And, you know, as we've discussed, it kind of makes sense, given the, the, the you know, the, the arc of my life of where I started. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, Jess Walter's Beautiful Ruins came along, and yeah. it was about Love the— Love that book. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic book. And it was, I think, the 10th or 11th book that I ever recorded, and it took off. I mean, it took off in print. It became a New York Times number one bestseller. But it also took off in audio in a way that was totally unexpected. Hmm. It became the number one audio book. It actually, at one point, the audio book was outselling the print, <laughs> uh, the hardcover at least. Um, hmm. And it became this hit. And I won an award from the Audio Publishers Association, which, to be honest, I didn't know existed. Um, <laughs> they suddenly named me Best Male Narrator. Um, it was showing up in, like, people were, there were things about it in, like, People Magazine. They were talking about the audiobook of Beautiful Ruins. I was like, what is going on? And that book, it was like perfect casting. It's about Italy. It's about Hollywood. Um, mm. And Jess is obviously a, a singular talent, a, yeah. a beautiful writer, and a wonderful guy. And it was this like perfect meeting, right? And so it just took off. And from there, I started getting offered more and more books. And I, I enjoyed it. And I had little kids. And so the lifestyle was perfect because, you know, I set my hours recording. Mm. I didn't have to be on a film set. Yeah, and yeah. then the other one that came along was um, Karlo Vaknauskor's My Struggle series, which yeah. is uh, six volumes. It comes out to be 133 hours in audio. And I recorded it over a number of years. And it really had a massive impact on my life because I really understood the art form of narration. And I think what happened there is that, you know, Karlova writes in first person and it's very intimate. Mm. And suddenly I didn't feel like I was telling a story so much as acting a part. Mm that I was playing Karl Uwe for 133 hours. Mm. Like, I might as well have been on a stage delivering a monologue of it. Mm. And it started to really kind of get into me and get under my skin and started to feel like, oh, this art form of narration, it's really performative. It's You can act on a stage, you can act in front of a camera, or you can act in front of a microphone. And mm. so it became this whole other outlet for the acting chops and that really kind of transformed how I thought about audiobooks and what I thought I wanted to do with my, with my time. And so from that point forward, I really turned to audiobooks exclusively. 
Hmm. Um, and then, although now I have to say I'm, I'm back on a TV show, which is wonderful. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, those two, I think, were the two pillars. Uh, Jess's Beautiful Ruins and Karlova Knauskor's My Struggle were the two things that really shaped the way I, I came into this world. Um, I'm sure you've done this more times than you'd care to do, but could you briefly explain for our listeners who are um, big, our community's big audiobooks people, you know, people will come in and buy a book and then they'll also buy the audiobook or, you know, they'll, when they're traveling, they're listening to books and when they're sitting at home, they're reading hard copies. Mm-hmm. C- could you briefly explain how it works when you um, do an audiobook? Are you reading the book a couple times before you narrate it and all that? You don't have to do, you don't have sure. to explain the technical aspect of it, but just what's no, your, it, what's your it, experience like in preparing? Yeah, I mean, people approach it differently, and it's an interesting question. Obviously, you have to familiarize yourself with the text uh, because you cannot go in cold. Yeah. Um, but the way I do it is I, I, I read the book, um, and I, I will say I read it kind of quickly. Uh, I, I want to you know, get a sense of it. I want to get a sense of the author's voice because I do feel like the narrator's job is to deliver the author's voice. Uh, we're not there to impose ourselves on top of it so much. It's in that sense, it's different from stage or screen, where mm. it's supposed to be about the actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, in audiobooks, it's still supposed to be about the text and the writer. Mm. Uh, so you have to have this sort of, you know, high wire act of like, notice my performance, but also at the same time, completely forget that I'm here. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I familiarize myself with the book. I, you know, I learn all the the, the major characters, you know, the plot points. Uh, the author's voice. And then what I do is I read the first, I'm going to say, five to ten pages aloud. I record it. And that really gives me a sense of the rhythm uh, and the sound and the feel and the flow. And then what I do is I record it, and sessions can be, you know, three, four, five, six hours long, uh, with breaks, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and But what I like to do is leave a certain amount of room for discovery as I'm recording. I don't want to over prep. I don't want to know the book so well that it doesn't also excite me as a reader at the same time. Mm. So I want to have part of my approach be there's that little piece where it's like I'm a first time reader as well. And we're doing this together. We're discovering this book together. Mm. And so that's the balance that I try to strike. Um, Do you talk to the authors, Jess Walser or? Well, Jess is a friend of mine now, I'm very happy to say. Uh, we've done a few uh, titles together. We even collaborated on a piece yeah, last, yeah, yeah. last year. Uh, and some authors, yes. Uh, I've become friends with Andre Asiman. Uh, I've hmm. become friends with Amor Tolls. I did The Lincoln Highway last yeah, year yeah. for him. Uh, there are other, Dean Kuntz and I have a, an email friendship that goes back and forth. Uh, David Baldacci and I sometimes communicate. <laughs> uh, Lisa Scottolini, uh, there's others... Uh, Adriana Trigiani, I could keep going on with yeah. names. But, um, so, yes, we communicate, we talk, uh, you know, I've gone to their events, uh, they reach out, uh, and sometimes if I have a book of theirs, I'll ask them, you know, uh, anything I need to know, you know yeah. is there anything specific? Uh, and for the most part, they, they trust me in my, my process and my instincts. Uh, and then some authors uh, you just never hear from, uh, yeah. and that's fine. Uh, and so it's, it's a bit of both. I like, uh, when I get to talk to the author, I do feel like it strengthens it. Um, do you, do you, so you say you're, you know, you're doing, let's say Amor Tolls, The Lincoln Highway. Are yeah. you wanting to talk to him to get a sense of, well, this is what, this is what that author was, was imagining this character is not voice to sound like, but sort of like 
the writerly voice to feel like or 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 the energy of it do you ever do you ever talk to them about things like that i have i mean amor uh invited me uh, uh for lunch before i recorded his book which was uh really generous and wonderful he's also a wonderful guy like jess and uh what i found interesting there and what i try to do with authors is rather than sort of pepper them with like you know who do you think this character should sound like and if you're yeah, casting yeah. the movie who would yeah, play yeah. this part you know yeah, yeah. is just to get a sense of them because mm. i think if you listen and pay attention you will have those questions answered and to hear the way they talk about their own book or talk about the characters or or if they don't i mean mm. that too can be quite telling mm. uh and so that's the way i do it does your work as an actor and like thinking about character and all that help you in that process? I think so. I mean, I was always a, and um, still a, I guess what you'd call a character actor. Uh, I've played all kinds of different parts. I've played, you know, from a junkie in The Sopranos uh, to, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know, a scientist in uh, uh, the experimenter film, uh, all kinds of, there were gangsters yeah. and, you know. Yeah. So I think actually being a character actor helps because within a book, you're going to be playing all the characters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th I do think it might be trickier if you were sort of a uh, traditional sort of leading man uh, that it might be harder to stretch into these characters. Uh, yeah. Although there's certainly a, a viable way to, to narrate audiobooks as kind of one voice, right? Uh, you can just be that lone leading man uh, voice who narrates the whole book, and that can work as well. It's not the approach I take, given my background as a, a more of a character actor. You can you can tell me that the premise behind this question is nonsense in your experience, <laughs> but because you spend your your working time reading, do you have favorite books to read when reading feels like work? Yeah, it's it's a very interesting question because I do confess that at the end of the day, if I've done six hours of recording. The last thing I want to do is read a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it is, this is actually one of the downsides of this work is that I don't just read books the way I used to. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say that now that I you know, read professionally, whenever I pick up a book, I'm sort of doing that same prep work mm. in my mind and yeah. thinking like, all right, what's the, what's the sound here and what's this character and how would mm. I do this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some books that I... I turn back to. One that I come back to again and again is uh, Camus' The Fall. Mm. Uh, for some reason, I just love that voice. And uh, I actually did get to record it, uh, which was amazing for me. Uh, and I have it on my bedside table, and sometimes I just pick up uh, a few pages and just sort of thumb through it. I also like The Little Prince, mm. uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Uh, um, I just, I love that book. I love the innocence of it. Uh, and I just, uh, so those are two that I kind of just turn to, uh, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to just read a book now. Do you have a favorite audio book that you were not the narrator for? Well, here comes a little confession, uh, is that I don't actually listen to a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> well, uh, is that because it's, because of the same thing with the reading? It's the it's same just thing kind of the a job. It, it really is. Uh, yeah. And there are, I, I have listened to books and sure. there are so many talented people working in the field right now. Uh, I mean, I do feel like it's a golden age of narration. Yeah. Uh, I think the level of performance and like the caliber of actor that is doing this work now is better than at any other time. Uh, but again, it's like at the end of the day, it's like, do yeah. I really want to, you know, put on some headphones and listen to a book? Uh, so I don't. Uh, I tend to listen to music. 
uh, or uh, the news, although these days I try to avoid the news a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, so I, I, I wish I could say like, oh, this is the... You know who I... I'll, I'll say this one. All right. Uh, when I first started, uh, David Sedaris, mm. uh, who is a fantastic writer and yeah. a fantastic reader, yeah. uh, people probably know this, I listened to all his books uh, and I remember uh, learning a lot from him, mm. uh, just because he's got this singular voice, and it's so honest, and he has these very distinct rhythms, and obviously he has a very distinct sound. Yeah, uh, his his vocal quality. Yeah, there's like a musicality uh, to it. Yeah, he, yeah, and it's it. sort of unmistakable. But I, I do remember listening to all the David Sedaris books, and I would listen to them as I would sort of lie in bed and fall asleep, and I just I, I found those to be absolutely wonderful. Hmm. Do you do you think? Do you think that one of the reasons you don't love to spend time with audiobooks is <laughs> you would be you find yourself kind of being a judgy audiobook listener? And I don't mean that like in a negative sense. You just would find yourself being critical or listening for the 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 choices, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Although I would like to think that I could be bigger than that, and that's the same <laughs> way that I can watch a TV show and yeah. not necessarily judge the actors. Yeah. yeah. Um, but although you know, even there, it's like I do watch TV shows, and I think, oh, what a strange choice that actor made. Like I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, there might be a degree of that, but you know, it it may be a, a professional hazard, however you whichever angle you take to it. Yeah. Do you have an audiobook that you had hoped to do that got like the audiobook that got away? I, you know, there there are a couple. Uh, I I don't know if I want to name them That's necessarily fair. That's because fair. the, uh, the put you on publish- the spot. Yeah, exactly. Or I might make some enemies with the publishers. Or something. <laughs> um, there yeah. was one that I'll say that uh, was offered to me, mm. and I was very much looking forward to doing it. And then it got yanked away from me at the last mm. second, oh, in a sort of inexplicable fashion. All they said was they just wanted somebody who sounded younger, and I was like okay, but you already offered me the book. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I'm sitting here prepping it. Uh, that oh, one was a slightly, brutal. that was a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. I, I will confess to that one. The, are you, your voice doesn't sound that old. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I don't sound like I'm 90. You know, it's like, <laughs> I guess they wanted, well, here's the irony and I'll just, and then I'll leave the story alone is that, so they recasted with somebody who honestly is, you know, not that much younger sounding than I am. So I don't know what went on there. <laughs> Yeah, some, maybe there was something else. Maybe that was just uh, the excuse. Yeah. And you've done lots of audiobooks where you read young characters. Sure, exactly. Is there a dream book? And again, you know, I don't want you to get in trouble with the publisher, but is there like a maybe? Maybe just say there's a is there a classic book that you would love to record one day? Uh, you know, there are, there are so many. Honestly, there are so mm-hmm. many. Uh, I have been extremely fortunate to actually record some of those. Uh, I got to record Dante. Uh, I got to record uh, the Hebrew Bible, uh, the new translation that came out a few years ago, uh, which was an extraordinary experience. Mm, I uh, bet. That was really <laughs> once in a lifetime. Uh, I got to record War and Peace. Uh, you know, there yeah. I got to record. Uh, well, I actually produced this myself. Some uh, long Jack, ones there too. <laughs> yeah, they're all the longer ones. Yeah. Uh, Jack London. Uh, there's a sort of an unsung masterpiece of his called Martin Eden. Uh, which mm. is his semi-autobiographical work, uh, which I went off and recorded by myself uh, because it's public domain. And I just had always wanted to do that book. Uh, and it had such an impact on me when I was, um, uh, I guess I was about 20 years old when I read it. Uh, and so I've been fortunate that I've been able to do, uh, I got to do Kafka, I got to do Stendhal, uh, mm. I got to do a lot of these classics, uh, Whitman, 
Um, so, you know, I, I really can't complain on that front uh, about doing classics that I wanted to do. Uh, I'm sure there's some others which, uh, if I really sat down and thought about, like, which books do I really <laughs> want to do? Um, but so far, I have to say, it's been this nice blend of, you know, these new writers uh, like uh, Immortals and Jess Walter uh, coming out with what I consider to be sort of modern classics and then what we consider to be just classics. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so I have this, I think, this this interesting blend of those two worlds. Do you um, do you read with your with your children? You you said your son is is ten. He's ten, yeah. And yet books are maybe, you know, not part of your non professional life as much as they would have been yeah. earlier. But do you, do you are books a part of your life with your with your kids? And in I your certainly home? read. I read to them when they were younger. Yeah, he yeah. he reads on his own now mostly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although there was a <laughs> a moment when you know they he hit the uh, Harry Potter age a few years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, he wanted uh, my wife to read them to him. Hmm. And I was, of course, we were brutally offended by this. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'll read them too. He's like, no, no, I want mommy to do it. I was like, what? Uh, but at the same time, it was like, maybe I don't want to read two hours of Harry Potter at the end of the day. Yeah, um, yeah. Because that then, is what happens, just so you know. I, 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 have you done this? Or oh, is yes. This what yeah, we're okay. in the middle of them, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Um, yeah. And then my daughter, who's seven, uh, she loves audiobooks, mm. uh, and she listens to them every night. She's obsessed with this series called Judy Moody at the moment. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with these children's books. Uh, she listens to them every night, uh, and my son prefers to hold a print book in yeah. his hand. Yeah. And so, uh, again, it's like I don't really you know, care which way they consume books. I think storytelling is important. Yeah. Um, although I, I, we do kind of insist with her that she also look at print books because I think there's a value uh, yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we have not insisted with him that he listen to audiobooks. So maybe that's somewhat telling. Um, <laughs> but I figure he'll, he'll get there if he wants to and, or not. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But she loves it. I mean, she loves the characters. She loves the voices. She loves the ability to kind of lie in bed in the dark and listen that way. Uh, so it's just a different preference. Are they performers at all? Uh, no, he's got a touch of it in him. <laughs> uh, although he's—I'm uh, not sure that either will become a professional uh, actor. Yeah. Uh, but they—they're not, you know, one of these those kids that are just constantly performing for you. So the last couple of years, obviously, the, we've collectively all been living in a very strange world strange place and one of the things that here at the bookstore we've heard from a lot of people is that books have been something that have helped them get through hard times get through um strange times and that that's yeah. been something that's they've they've noticed even more uh profoundly you know since march of 2020 or so yeah have you throughout your life found that books have been a comfort for you now they're such a professional part of your life that maybe that's not possible but have there been books that throughout your life you have turned to uh, for comfort and during hard times sure uh without question i mean books are such a wonderful companion uh and one thing that i have heard from a lot of listeners in this period is how much uh audiobooks in particular have helped them in this time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, there have been books I've turned to uh, in my life uh, that have provided me great comfort and solace. And, you know, audiobooks didn't exist when I was in high school and college and in my 20s. Oh, well, they did, again, but not in the, the level that, at the level we understand them now. But, right, you know, right, so right. many people have uh, written me over the last couple of years 
to say how much uh, listening to the books that I've recorded has meant to them. And I, I think there was something about a voice in the room with them, uh, a voice in their ears, uh, which made them feel a lot less lonely. Hmm. Um, you know, some people have written me some very, very heartfelt uh, notes talking about very deeply personal things and how hmm. uh, they would every night at uh, I, one couple, I remember uh, they said that they, they were up in Vermont and they were completely isolated and they would listen to uh, some audiobooks of mine together while sitting around in the evening. And it became their evening ritual, which was like the one thing they looked forward to, to get at the end of the day. Uh, mm. And it just, it, it sort of blew me away um, that, you know, not only books, but audiobooks, having this trusted storyteller in your ear, you know, the comfort that that can provide. Mm. Do you, do you have any titles that, that you, let's say that any titles particularly that you have worked on? that are lesser known, but that you think people should read and, or listen to, and not because, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking this to toot your own horn, to, right, so to speak, right. but because you think that this is a book that perhaps is, is just really surprised you at how great it was, but it may be lesser read than, say, you know, um, The Lincoln Highway or something sure. like that, or War and Peace even. Uh, that is a fascinating question. Well, here's one that it did fairly well, but uh, I think it sort of slipped a little bit under the radar. Uh, it was by Antoine Wilson called Mouth to Mouth, uh, mm-hmm. which came out uh, earlier this year, which I thought was a wonderful book. It's also a great length because it's only about four hours. So for people mm-hmm. who are, you know, sort of a little wary of maybe jumping into a 10-hour, 12-hour, 15-hour book. Is it the art uh, dealer book? Yes. Yeah. So uh, that is... Uh, that is one. Um, the other one that, you know, uh, this is a, a, a Buddhist title by Thich Nhat Hanh called Pieces Every Step, mm. um, which I recorded a few years ago, uh, which uh, had an enormous impact on me, uh, which I thought was a beautiful little title. It's, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, for those who don't know, is this uh, Vietnamese monk who recently passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he writes in this very lyrical, uh, poetic form. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm trying to think of what else uh, I've done of, of late. Uh, uh, let's, oh, you know, there was, a, the, again, a famous author, but uh, Cynthia Ozick's Antiquities, mm. uh, which was a beautiful, uh, again, a shorter volume. Uh, I thought a wonderfully crafted tale. Um, uh, she's not an obscure writer by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Um, but mm. yeah, there, there are some that, you know, make the bestseller list and then there are some that sort of slip by, um, but they can be equally as wonderful and powerful. One thing I've enjoyed is, uh, looking through your, your, uh, audible page at, and because I've had a chance to interview Jess Walters and Ron Rash oh, and people like right. that. So it's fun to, to, to have read their books and then listen to, you know, read them once and then listen to them and look at sort of, uh, experience, I guess, is the word, your interpretations of them and, and right. your performances of them. I, I really enjoy that uh, because it opens up the experience so much. You know, it's one right. thing to read it and kind of let it wash over you, but then letting someone else's interpretation wash over you too is a really, um, I, I don't know any other word than just a very enjoyable experience for people who love books. So um, thank you so much for 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 your work. Um, and my last question here is, you mentioned that you have the, um, you did the Jack London title that that was really important to you when you were younger is that yeah. one 
What is that called again? Because I would like to listen to um, that one for sure. Martin Eden. And is that one available on Audible? And it is. Yeah. Places like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to uh, to grab that. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's one. I'm actually a big Jack London fan, but at least the the, the sort of essential classics. But that's one that has slipped by me. So it's yeah, it's it's not uh, of his better known titles, uh, but it is his semi autobiographical. Uh, it's his story of becoming a writer. Uh, and mm-hmm. when I read it when I was in college, and I wanted to be a writer when I was in college, um, it really struck me and this this dedication and this struggle of you know his. Uh, it's a fascinating story. It's beautifully told. There's also uh, a there was an Italian film of it a couple of years ago, uh, which mm. uh, which I will also plug, even though I have nothing to do with the film, uh, <laughs> which I thought was a wonderful uh, film. Uh, it reimagined it, set in Italy, and it was it was just huh. really beautifully done. I'm going to check both of those things out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you got another call coming up here soon. I'll give you a little break between, but thank you for the time and uh, the conversation. I really enjoyed it. And again, thank you for your work. David, thank you. That was Eduardo Ballerini. Thanks so much to him for joining me. And thanks to you for checking out our show. Be sure to check out his work wherever you get audiobooks. This has been Bibliography. I'm David Kern. Post-production of this show was done by Logan Green. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you found a book or two to add to your to-be-read list. Until next time, happy reading. Mm-hmm.